Ladies and gentlemen, it's very nice to see you uh, for this uh, particular seminar. If you haven't been on to our seminars before, just to explain, the theme of this particular term is actors and audiences, and we're moving gradually towards the end of the term, uh, looking at conflict resolution. Um, Dr. Sarapolo is uh, here to, from the University of Essex, um, formerly at Rice. We've had a bit of discussion about your life story and about how you got to this particular subject, um, which you, no doubt, I won't tell you, because otherwise it'll spoil the sort of basis of the... Um, the discussion we're going to have. Um, but I think um, what's interesting about this subject is it's a very important way of reminding us about connections between those um, research centres or disciplinary studies which seem also separate. And that I'm delighted to say there's also a good news story here. So, Sarah, over to you. Thank you very much for coming. So before I start, I'll take the opportunity of thanking Rob and Liz and the Changing Character War Centre for inviting me over. I'm very excited to be here and to present this project, which is joint work with Julian Werhoffenig from the Hertz School in Berlin. And it's titled Trojan Horse, Copycat or Scapegoat, Unpacking the Refugees Terrorism Nexus. And as you can guess from the title, uh, in this project we are interested in understanding the uh, security implication, the security consequences of refugee flows, particularly for uh, host countries. Now, you may wonder why we're interested in this particular topic, and there are several motivations. So, first of all, the refugee crisis from which Europe is emerging continues to be at the core of uh, domestic and international political agendas for many reasons. One reason is because in recent years we have seen an unprecedented increase in the number of forcibly, dis forcibly displaced persons, so refugees, asylum seekers, internally displaced persons, and today these people make up 1% of the world population, which is quite uh, staggering. But also, looking closer to home, uh, by the end of 2015, between 1 and 2 million people uh, fled to Europe, coming from countries that experienced high levels of violence and terrorism, such as Syria, Afghanistan, and, uh, and Iraq. And as a result, we have observed a pretty heated debate in politics and media about the security risks of hosting refugees, and particularly since a lot of refugees and asylum seekers flee from conflict zones with high levels of terrorism, the risk of possibly importing terrorist violence, the risk that, for example, terrorist organizations could use these refugee movements, this population movement could infiltrate them as a Trojan horse to conduct terrorist attacks in refugees' um, destination, um, destination countries. Now, if you look at public opinion, a lot of these fears are actually reflected in, uh, in public op opinion and how people view this, this problem. These are the results of the survey that was conducted in 2017 uh, in mostly uh, Western developed countries. Uh, and what this graph is showing is the percentage of respondents that agree with that statement, that there are terrorists pretending to be uh, refugees who will enter uh, the respondent's country to cause violence and destruction. As you can see, these proportions are pretty high, between 50 and 80 percent in, uh, in most of the countries. So clearly, we may agree or disagree with these beliefs, but these fears are real, right? whether they are grounded or not. Uh, in evidence, but they are real. And then, of course, uh, policymakers as well. This is actually, this, this picture was retweeted by uh, US President Donald Trump uh, and himself and clearly illustrate 
the U.S. administration attitude toward refugee, in this case coming uh, from Syria, and more broadly, uh, U.S. President Trump repeatedly stated that, allegedly, uh, numerous foreign-born individuals have been convicted or implicated in terrorism-related crimes, and some of these allegedly came to the U.S. through the Refugee Resettlement Program, and also Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban defining refugees and migrants as the Trojan horse of terrorism. Even intelligence agencies seem to agree. Uh, this is the Europol, the EU law enforcement agencies. In the latest report wrote that jihadist terrorist organizations already exploited the flow of refugees and migrants to send individuals to Europe to commit acts of terrorism and may continue to do so. Now, I've shown you a number of claims related to public opinion, policymakers, and intelligence uh, agencies about this issue. But we believe there are reasons to actually be uh, cautious or, or even skeptical of some of these uh, claims. First of all, the, 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 the first question is whether or not these perceptions may be actually hampered by cognitive, uh, cognitive biases. For example, um, the German Chancellor Angela Merkel acknowledged that it's possible that some refugees who have fled security zones could pose a security threat for Germany. However, Germany was already a target for Islamic terrorism before the many refugees came to Germany, especially starting from 2015. And so the idea here is that there may be other reasons why countries are targeted by Islamist terrorists or other uh, foreign, uh, foreign terrorists that have absolutely nothing to do with refugees. And so the question here is whether the public debate is characterized by some degree of attribution bias. So basically the tendency of individuals uh, to um, uh, place excessive emphasis on the characteristics of certain people perceived as outgroups, right, and scapegoat them uh, at the expense of more plausible, perhaps, situational or, or environmental factors, such as, for example, some countries' foreign policies. What, do, what does existing research have to say about this question, about the possibility that refugee flows are a security threat for the countries that, uh, that host them? Well, when we looked at research, we found that there was a, a, a gap, a significant gap, actually, in systematic research that could shed light on this particular question. Because there are some studies that have looked at the association between the number of refugees present in the country and, and the risk of terrorism, but when it comes to explanation, uh, these studies tend to theorize mechanisms that are purely at the domestic level, such as conditions in refugee camps, which, however, we don't have in developed Western uh, countries, or some degree of competition for resources uh, between um, the refugees and, and, and the locals. But is there, is, there is very little about the extent to which terrorism is diffused from one place to another. Uh, following and um, basically through this this uh, this refugee uh, flow, so basically the extent to which terrorism is imported, right, from uh, from abroad, which is sort of the framework that we are adopting here. This is the fusion framework that terrorism moves from one place to another through these population uh, <laughs> movements. But also when we look at the outcomes in these studies, we typically see a rather aggregated outcome. How many terrorist attacks happen in that particular country? And we don't know much about who perpetrates these attacks. Are these really foreign actors and where do they come from? Do they come from where the refugees are coming from or from elsewhere? Or are these local actors that have nothing to do with the refugees? But also against whom are these attacks uh, targeted? And so as a result, it becomes really difficult 
to actually systematically evaluate some of the claims that, that <coughs> persist in, in political and media debates, as I've shown before. And finally, the third reason to be skeptical has to do with the fact that the debate, both the scholar debate but also the political debate, tends to be incomplete. And what is missing is the fact that current debates tend to disregard the fact that refugees and asylum seekers are often themselves the targets of violence in the country where they go. So not only the countries they, they're fleeing from, but also the countries where, where they go. And we've seen in Germany, 2016, more than 2,500 refugees and asylum seekers victims of attack, but more broadly, we have observed since a lot of the refugees come from Muslim-majority countries, a wave of anti-immigrant and anti-Muslim violence. Uh, these are just some examples from Canada and from, uh, from the UK, but there are um, several more. Which brings us to the research question. Right? Do refugee inflows actually lead to an increase in terrorist violence in the host state? And most importantly, <coughs> if so, if there is some association, how? And under what conditions do refugee inflows increase the risk of terrorism? These are the questions that we're trying to answer in this, uh, in this project. And so to answer this question, remember we adopt this diffusion framework. We're trying to understand to what extent right, terrorism travels through these uh, population movements, specifically movement of refugees and, uh, and asylum seekers. So we, we develop three theoretical pathways, right? three possible diffusion pathways. The first one reflects pretty much the current claim, right? That refugees constitute a Trojan horse for, for terrorism. We try to sort of theorize this a little bit more. What is the logic here? Now, we know that terrorist organizations have a number of goals. So they have long-term goals, but they also have more short-term proximate goals, which include attracting international attention, so being able to advertise their cause more broadly, internationally provoking foreign targets, increasing recruitment. And typically, transnational terrorist attacks, so attacks that these groups conduct in foreign countries, um, have been have dem have, have demonstrated to uh, help these organizations accomplish some of these uh, proximate goals. So they could be quite effective. At the same time, attacks against foreign states, particularly when terrorists have to cross borders, they're actually very difficult. They're not easy at all uh, to conduct. And so the idea here is that refugee flows could create this direct physical linkages between the refugee country of origin and also the terrorist country of origin and the destination, sorry, the, the host state. So basically allow terrorist organizations to extend uh, their networks and facilitate their movement to other countries and, and, and the, the uh, perpetration of terrorist attacks there. Moreover, when we look at this, is, this applies mostly, the last point applies mostly to uh, developing countries where we have refugee camps. And there are studies that have shown that the radicalization of refugees is more, is more frequent and more likely when refugees enter in direct contact with terrorists that move across, uh, across the border. So here, simply the idea is that uh, terrorist organizations will use, will exploit these refugee movements to conduct attacks in the, uh, in the host country will we'll infiltrate literally this flows. The second mechanism or the second, second pathway is what we call copycat. And here the basic intuition is that terrorist activities uh, by organization abroad 
can inspire right, local domestic actors to resort to terrorism through processes of emulation or demonstration effect, various forms of inspiration, essentially. But inspiration is not sufficient to uh, empower groups to conduct attacks. And the reason is access to resources, training, expertise, skills, and other sort of weapons. So basically, the idea here is that uh, successful conduction of terrorist attacks requires uh, requires a number of resources that are not readily uh, readily available, How, and, they, and, and as a result, they make it more difficult for domestic actor to resort to terrorism in absence. So the idea is that refugee flows, to the extent that these flows can be infiltrated by actual terrorists, they facilitate the movement of terrorism-specific capital to host countries, which in turn empowers local actors to uh, to resort to uh, to terrorism. Um, and this, the, the, the rationale is because there are more material opportunities as a result of this movement of terrorists. So basically the idea is that not only you have terrorists moving through these refugees' flows, but also resources and, 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 and you know, uh, material and human capital that travels through these flows that empowers local actors with grievances against the state to resort to terrorism. And finally, what I considered to be the most interesting, in fact, pathway is what we call scapegoat. And here we're really looking at how uh, local actors, local citizens or groups really respond to the arrival of refugees. And here the idea is that large-scale arrivals of refugees and asylum seekers can generate perceptions of security threats in the host country. But this doesn't always happen. We believe that this is particularly related to where refugees are coming from, whether refugees are perceived as threatening because they come from countries <coughs> that have those transnational terrorist organizations that we know are the ones that have, it, like ISIS, for example, are the ones that have incentives to conduct terrorist attacks abroad. Because there are some organizations that are purely domestic. They don't care about conducting attacks abroad, but some do. And when refugees come from these countries, they will be perceived as particularly uh, threatening. And also, when the host countries, or the countries where the refugees go, uh, have in the past experienced severe transnational attacks, severe attacks perpetrated by some foreign groups, doesn't have to be related to refugee at all. It's the idea of the past vulnerability, right, that becomes activated or triggered again by the arrival of groups, of outgroups that are perceived as threatening. And how do people respond to this perceived threat? Well, in this case, fear trumps solidarity. Right? Sometimes people act in solidarity, but under this particular condition, we believe that fear will trump uh, sentiments and feelings of solidarity. And as a result, refugee inflows will trigger violent terrorist response by local, uh, by local groups. They are meant to intimidate the refugees, the potential terrorists, but also to send a message to the local government that it's not dealing effectively with, with the threat. And so here we posit that refugees will become the targets of terrorist attacks by local groups. But because we are sort of placing this argument within a diffusion framework, we sort of take this one step further. And we're basically looking at conditions first in the countries from, which, from where refugees are coming from, which I sort of anticipated already. Because the idea here, the rationale underlying the current claims that refugees could be a Trojan horse or that refugees could empower local actors with grievances against the state to conduct attacks against the state, is that basically refugees enable terrorism by transporting people, aka terrorists, 
but also ideas and skills from terrorist organizations in the refugee origin countries to the uh, host countries. Similarly, the rationale underlying our story about the scapegoating of refugees is similar, that refugees induce fear of terrorism, or they induce terrorism in the host countries uh, by local actors by transporting fear of terrorism. They are perceived as potential vehicles, and as a result, they are punished uh, because they are perceived to be the cause of this increased sense of, of vulnerability. And so basically, if this is true, then only refugees from countries with transnational terrorist organization could logically export this type of terrorism to host countries. Because in a diffusion framework, if there is nothing, if there is no terrorism at the source that can be transported, then we cannot observe the diffusion to the host, uh, to the host countries. And this allows us to basically distinguish between different types, this is what we call center effects, between different types of refugees. Refugees that come from countries that have this transnational terrorist organization that could branch out and also generate that fear, and refugee flows and refugees that come from countries that don't have this organization, which we expect we should not have any effect on the diffusion of terrorism to host countries along any of the pathways that I just described. But there is more. Right? What about the countries where the refugees go? Because they are not all the same, right? Um, and so we, we argued that developed countries uh, benefit from more advanced counterterrorism capabilities by right? the ability to basically screen these population, uh, population flows, uh, screen these refugee movements for potential terrorist infiltration, but also they are better able to police their territory, police their border, for prevent these types of, uh, of attacks. And so because, remember, the Trojan horse and the copycat pathway really hinge on the possibility or the actual, in fact, infiltration of uh, refugee movements by terrorist organizations. So we expect that the countries that are better able at preventing, at basically breaking these potential channels to be less likely to observe diffusion. And so Trojan horse and copycat mechanisms would be, or phenomena, would be less likely in developed countries, precisely because these countries can break those ties. But what about the scapegoat? And importantly, remember, the scapegoat mechanism is based on fear. Right? It's not based on actual terrorism. It's, it's enough to be afraid that, that there is a possibility that these refugee flows could be infiltrated. And these fears can be easily amplified by media, also by populist politicians. And on top of that, people are usually more scared the more exceptional a phenomenon is, which of course we know is the case for developed countries. And so the idea is that the scapegoat mechanism, the fear of refugees because of the risk and because of this potential infiltration by terrorists, is going to be more pronounced in developed countries. So how do we test these arguments? Our starting point is the Global Terrorism Database. For those of you who are not familiar with it, this is the largest database of terrorist attacks worldwide, and it covers a time period from 1972 to 2016. So this is our starting point, and we have information based on this database on the perpetrators. But what we don't know based on the Global Terrorism Database is where the terrorists are coming from, and this is why we, you know, create this new data set, which we call GTD, Global Terrorism Database Homes, where we basically looked at all these perpetrators of terrorist attacks and called their home countries, so where they are primarily uh, established. It was a significant endeavor, but it's very important for us to be able to know 
where these terrorist organizations that conduct attacks abroad, where they are established, where they are based. Because remember, we are differentiating refugees that come from countries that have organizations that have a tendency to conduct attacks abroad, and refugees that come from countries that don't have these types of organizations. Um, our outcome variables, remember we have three pathways, the Trojan horse, the copycat, and the scapegoat. So our outcome variables are three different forms of terrorism, and specifically these outcome variables reflect the observable and mutually exclusive implications of the pathways. And what this means specifically is that uh, for the Trojan horse, we look at the number of transnational attacks that take place in a potential refugee hosting country. What does it mean in practice? It's simply the number of attacks that are conducted by foreign groups. And then we are able to map right, these foreign groups with the countries of origin of refugees that are hosted in that particular in that particular country. For the copycat, remember, this is about emulation. There are local actors with grievances against the state that may be empowered by the movement of uh, terrorist groups through refugee uh, flows. And so here we're looking at the number of terrorist attacks by domestic groups in a country against domestic targets. And finally, for the scapegoat, where we posit that refugees are going to be victims of terrorist attacks by local groups, we look at exactly that, attacks in host countries that target individuals who are actually refugees, but also individuals like asylum seekers or others, uh, migrants that, that share the same nationality as the, the refugees, because we have information about the nationality of the victims of terrorist attacks in each country. Now, our refugee data comes from the uh, UNHCR, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. And this is a nice dyadic data, meaning that we have information about where the refugees come from and the country of asylum, where, they, uh, where they're hosted, where they go. I should specify that we are not looking here at refugees that are resettled in third countries. We're only looking at uh, countries of asylum. Um, and again, here we are able, because of our GTD host data set, we are able to distinguish between two categories of refugees. Refugees that flee from countries that have these transnational terrorist organizations and the refugee that flee from other countries. And this is important because, for example, what if refugees are selecting right, countries where they go based on some factors that also influence terrorism? Now, basically, if refugees make a selection, a strategic selection about where they go, the idea is that this should apply to both types of refugees, regardless of where they come from, because refugees are civilians. So if they care about security, all types of refugees should care about, about security. But basically, by comparing the effect that these two types of refugees have on terrorism in the host country, you're better able to test our argument systematically. And finally, because there may be a number of other factors that influence whether or not a country experiences terrorism in our analysis, which is quantitative, uh, we take into account the GDP of a country, the population, the type of regime, democracy or not, the presence or absence of a civil war, um, even interstate wars, whether or not the potential host country has conducted, terror uh, sorry, has conducted uh, in an uh, intervention in a civil war, um, the presence of a civil, civil war in the neighborhood, the presence of terrorism in the neighborhood, so whether a country is located in what we call a terrorism hotspot. Um, and sort of our unit of analysis, what we're looking at is each country in each, uh, in each year. So we have a country here at the side 
but we start from um, a more disaggregated design. Now you may wonder, how do we differentiate between receiver effects or between receiving country? Here, for simplicity, we have used the whether or not a country is an OECD member as a shorthand to separate developed and developed country because it's a shorthand for a number of other uh, sort of uh, characteristics. Um, this is just purely descriptive, what our aggregate data looks <coughs> like. So here we have data from 1970 to 2015, and the, 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 the solid lines, the red one is the, um, shows the trend over time for domestic attacks. That's one of our three outcome variables. Um, the blue one are transnational attacks, meaning attacks conducted in a country by foreign groups. And the last one is attacks against refugees and asylum uh, seekers. And the vertical bars are basically the total number of refugees uh, in the world disaggregated by whether or not they come from countries with transnational terrorism and countries uh, that, uh, that don't. Uh, for those of you who are interested, we have regression analysis uh, with uh, OLS with the country and year fixed effects, but um, I want to skip to the results first. So what do we find uh, when we run this regression analysis um, for the Trojan horse? We find that refugees from countries that have these transnational terrorist organizations do in fact increase the risk of transnational terrorist attacks by groups that are based in those refugee origin countries. However, there is no evidence of this Trojan horse effect in developed countries. So in other words, we only find an effect, we only find support for the Trojan horse hypothesis in developing countries. And very similar results for the copycat. We do find that there is an increase right, in terrorist attacks by local groups that benefit from potential terrorist infiltrations, but not in developed countries again. What we do find in developed countries is that, yes, there is an increase in terrorism, but it is terrorism that's perpetrated by local actors against refugees, and particularly against refugees that are perceived as, uh, as threatening. However, when we look at the other refugees, right, the other category of refugees, refugees that come, come from countries that are not perceived as threatening, we don't find any effect. We don't find that these refugees spread anything, basically. They are not associated with attacks by foreign groups. They are not associated with attacks by local groups against local targets. And they are also not associated with attacks against refugees. I remember that when I talked about the scapegoat, I said it matters whether refugees are perceived as threatening. It matters also how vulnerable the local populations feel. And one way for us to get at this perception of vulnerability is to look at what is the most severe prior transnational attack, the attack perpetrated by some foreign group in the country. And the idea is that when you were vulnerable before, you were targeted before by some foreign actor, the presence of outgroups or the arrival of outgroups that are perceived as threatening because it could make you vulnerable again, right? They could bring back that experience, increases hostility and fear. And as a result, what we find here is that the more, the greater the perception of, oops, sorry, the greater the perception of past vulnerability, okay? Here, the more severe the prior attack in the, the most severe attack in the previous five years, the more likely it is that as a country hosts more refugees coming from 
countries perceived as, so the more, the larger the number of refugees perceived as vulnerable, given that you were, sorry, the larger the number of refugees perceived as threatening, given that you also have high vulnerability, the more likely it is that refugees themselves are going to become targets. So basically, when local populations feel more vulnerable, an inflow of refugees from countries that are perceived as threatening, and as a result, you know, the refugees themselves are perceived as a threat, translates into a larger number of attacks against the refugees by the local groups. So basically, refugees become, in a way, scapegoated for this increased perception of, of vulnerability and, and, security, and insecurity. However, when we look at the other types of refugees, right, the refugees in, in red here that come from the countries that don't have these terrorist organizations so are perceived as less threatening, we don't find that there is much of an effect. If anything, it becomes slightly negative. So we don't find that those types of refugees are associated with more attacks against refugees, but the other ones are. So the bottom line here is that there are, of course, a number of reasons why refugees and asylum seekers might you know, might not, not be welcome in, in, um, in those countries, why local populations might uh, feel hostile to them. But what we're drawing our attention to here is the security driver, right, of this hostility. As I said, there, may be, there are many reasons, and we do explore some of them, but we do find a security matter, right? When people feel physically threatening, threatened, sorry, they become more aggressive toward, uh, toward refugees. Now, you may wonder, okay, you've shown us some results, but what if there are some other factors, what we call unobserved confounders, things that we can't observe, but they are there. They make, for example, a country more likely to host refugees, but also more likely to be a target. And one thing, the obvious thing that I can think about is geographic proximity. Maybe this host country is just close. It's a close to a terrorism hotspot, and that also brings refugees. So it's basically close to the problem, but it's not that refugees are causing terrorism in this, uh, in this, particular, uh, in this particular country. Or what if refugee flows are infiltrated along the way? And so to address this possibility, we develop what we call placebo outcomes. And what, simply, what this simply means, we have looked at uh, tr first transnational attacks, so attacks by foreign groups, uh, that are ori they originate from countries, for example, neighboring countries, uh, whose refugees, however, are not currently present in the host country. So if, for example, geographic proximity is simply driving uh, these attacks, we should see that this particular outcome is significantly associated with, uh, with refugees, uh, with, um, with the uh, presence of, of refugees, even though the two are not causally related. But we don't find, basically, that this is that this is the case. And also, what about xenophobia? What if the problem is just any foreigner, right? We look at actually attacks against foreigners from countries that actually are not sending refugees in the, in the host country. Any other sort of attacks against foreigners unrelated to refugees, right? If the problem is foreigners, we should see that having some refugees increases attacks against against all other foreigners. Because the problem is, not the refugees, it's just that somebody is a foreigner, it's an outgroup. But we don't find that this is the case again. And what if the relationship goes the other way around? What if, for example, 
the, the, host, the, the countries that host refugees, they, they basically uh, calibrate their proclivity to host as a function of how, how threatening the refugees are, right? Uh, or what if destination countries are chosen by the refugees based on security? We actually develop a fairly sophisticated instrumental variable approach that allow us to basically overcome this, uh, this problem. Uh, I'm happy to talk more about how we do this in the Q&A, but it's basically to take into account the possibility of a reverse causality. Again, we find that this is, that this is not the case, that our results are robust even when we result this alternative estimation. Um, finally, we've conducted some additional tests because you may wonder, for example, what if these results are driven by Muslim versus non-Muslim <coughs> refugees? What if this is not about terrorism in the refugee-sending countries, but it's really about are these Muslims or not? We looked at that, and interestingly, what we found that whether or not refugees are Muslim or not has no effect on the Trojan horse, the infiltration of terrorists. There's no effect on the copycat. However, and this is very sad, uh, refugees from Muslim-majority countries are more likely to be targeted. They are more likely to be scapegoated. They are more likely to be victims of, uh, of terrorist attacks, especially in developed countries. So there is a scapegoating problem when it comes to uh, the Muslim refugees. We have replicated our results looking at the lethality of terrorism as opposed to the number of attacks, and we find essentially the same. We have looked at differences before and after 9-11. We don't find any. We have looked at the history of terrorism in the countries where the refugees go, our result holds. What if the problem is not terrorism in the, sending, the refugee sending or origin country, but it's about civil war. It's just a story about civil war. Interestingly, we don't, interestingly, we don't find that this is the case. What really matters if there is a civil war is how much terrorism by foreign groups there is. So basically, civil war with transnational terrorism as opposed to any civil war, which is in line with what we expect with this diffusion story. What if refugees are targeted because they have actually been engaged in some form of violence? Right? They are punished. They're not scapegoated. They are literally punished for some bad behavior. We don't find that this is the case. And again, not because there is no evidence of violence by refugees, but because we find that refugees are targeted regardless of whether they engage in violence or not. And finally, we replicate analysis with a dyadic design where we basically have the origin country and the sending country, and we look at, um, at uh, the relationship between the two, and we find that our results can be replicated with that design. So I will conclude. What did we find here? Uh, we found very limited evidence of a Trojan horse and a copycat effect. There is some, but only in developing countries. Developed countries seem to be immune, but not because there is no problem, right? Not because refugees or asylum seekers are never a problem, but because the developed countries have already done what is necessary to prevent this risk, right? So there is no systematic pattern that should lead us to be worried about developed countries importing terrorism through, uh, through, through refugees. However, the current debate in politics and media are missing a key issue, which is the security of the refugees themselves and this phenomenon of scapegoating of refugees. And so as a result, policies and discourses that fuel hostility and even hatred toward refugees are not making countries safer, but have the result of causing more terrorism, not less. And with this, 
I will conclude and I look forward to your questions. So thank you very much.